we can switch to this one so my hands are free. You can figure it out from there. This is that sacred time in our week where we get to sit under the preaching of the Word together. And my job is just to press it home with you. So listen with humility. Uh, Be an active listener in these words. Very unique sermon today. I am closing the loop with you on what's been happening with us in the three months that I have been on a leave from pastoral duties in the life of the church. If I haven't met you yet, that's why. So let me catch you up. Six months ago, we learned as a family that we would be walking through breast cancer with my wife, Grace. Very early diagnosis, very optimistic prognosis, but we knew that that is not a joke of a treatment road to walk. So you said to me, you will not be serving at Seven Mile Road for the next three months. You need to be 100% invested and focused and available to your family at home as you learn to start swimming in these new waters. Last week, I started inching back into work of serving the church. We thought it would be really helpful to you if we just took some time to talk about what it's been like for us to live in the dark shadows of a hard providence in this season and close the loop on what's been happening. There are a dozen texts that have been super strong in my soul in this season. One of them is the one that I just read to you, that text of Scripture. And so I'm going to speak autobiographically, but I'm going to let those words be the anchor that we stick with this morning. I just want you to see two things in the next half hour. One is that God really is always getting at eternally important soul-level gospel work with our sufferings, always. And then second, He is always good to us in those sufferings. If you get those two things, we're good today. All right, let's pray. Father, be gracious because my words and my brother's and sister's ears are dead without the animating work of the Spirit of God. But you promised that your word does not return to you void. It accomplishes what you intend. So accomplish some work in us in the next few minutes. By your spirit, that's our desperate cry. I pray that you would hear it and answer. Amen. Okay, before we hit the words of Scripture together, let's do a little bit of theology on sickness, which I think will be helpful to you. Um, I'm going to start with some counterfeit theologies. You know how if you have a $100 bill, a Texas penny, they call it, or a green monster? No? All right, that's what I call it. If you had a $100 bill, how would you know that it is real, real, a true $100 bill? One way is by comparing it with counterfeits, and that's how you know that it's real. You can do that with theology, too. So here's a few counterfeit theologies to set up a really good one. So I'm going to put these up on the screen. Here's one. If you are sick, it's 100% because you have sinned. I don't know if you've heard that before. This was the assumption of the folks in John's gospel. There was a blind man, and they came to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, who sinned, 
that this man would be born blind? Was it him or was it his parents? Because somebody sinned. And Jesus said in this case it was neither. It was so that the glory of God could be shown off in his life. Now, this doesn't mean that this is never the case. We know in the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, hey, here's a reason some of you are sick, because you are in unrepentant sin, but you presumptuously keep coming down to the table, and you're dishonoring the body and the blood of Christ. So yes, any good pastor will sit with someone who has chronic illness and ask them about their sin, but to say that Every sickness ever is tied directly to immediate and personal sin is not helpful. It's reductive. It's a bad theology. All right, here's another one you may have heard. If you just believed enough, you could get healed. So the undergraduate college that I went to was whack with this. I love the place, but this was whack theology, as if... Your physical healing is a guaranteed end in this life. So it's like there's a vending machine, and row C53 is your healing, and if you just input enough faith and push the buttons, down it will come. In its worst form, this kind of teaching shames people who are ill or sick by insinuating that their failure to get better is a lack of authentic faith. That's not how this works. Here's another one you may have heard. It's Satan who rules this world. God would love to help you right now, but sorry, he just can't. Again, there is some truth in all of these. So our enemy comes at us in this life in a hundred different ways. But every one of those hundred different ways is subject to the sovereignty of of God. We think of our enemy like a dog on a leash. He could get some things done. There is evil that happens to us, but God turns it for good every single time. Don't ever think that God is a handcuffed bystander who's just like shrugging his shoulders at the circumstances of our lives. That's not it. Here's one more. There is no God. Random awfulness happens, then you die, and it's over. Okay, at church we tend to read this and go, ah, that's so stupid, who could think that way? But I get where this is coming from, totally. I get the allure of this. I get why someone might land here. Many of my family and friends land right here. I was in three different post-op recovery rooms with Grace in the last few months. Those rooms are awful. I walked past men and women who were suffering terribly. I could totally understand that if you worked in there every day, every day, every day, for like 25 straight years, every day, and you saw all the men and the women and the children who suffer physically in this life, that you could begin to doubt the power and the goodness and even the reality of God. I get it. Now, if we had time, we could break down the fundamental flaws with this theology of sickness. I don't have time. 
what I want to press with you is that there is a better, truer explanation for what is going on in life with our sufferings. That's what I want to roll out for you. Is anybody's hands cold or is it just me? All right. Sorry. It's April in Massachusetts. We never know whether to put heat on or off. All right. Don't fall asleep on me, but I'll take the sting out of your hands. Rapid fire, four theological truths that you can hang your hat on. Let's do these, and then we'll hit the text. Number one, in this age, all creation, including our bodies, is broken. The theological term is cursed. In Adam, our father, we fell head first into sin, and the whole world fell with us. God loved Adam and warned Adam, if you eat, you will die. Adam ate, and we ate with him, and so we die. And physical illness, the breaking down of our bodies, is a real-life working out of this brokenness. You will get sick in this life. You will, now or later. This is why. All right, number two, there is a new age coming when the saints will be set free from sorrow, pain, and sickness. On Easter Sunday, we celebrated this wild truth as evidenced unmistakably in the body of Jesus risen from the dead. Not just risen, but what did we say? Fully healed. He left the marks so that they would know it was really him, but he was 100% healed forever. What is that? That is Jesus' perfect and permanent healed body as the first fruits of what is going to be reality for all of us in the age to come. One day in the future, we're going to talk about sickness the way that we talk about beepers. Have you ever tried to talk to a teenager about beepers? (laughs) I was trying to explain this to my awesome daughter, Julia, the other day. So you literally have to say out loud. So we had these little black devices, and we'd put them on our belt. And if your friend wanted to get a hold of you, they would find a landline and call you. And then you would beep. And then you would look at the phone. And there was no words, no pictures, no emojis. It was just numbers. And then you would have to go find another phone to call your friend back at the phone that they were at. This was how beepers worked. Long, ancient history. One day, one day, in the way future, I'm going to say to my mom, hey, what was going on with your blood sugar again? What was that thing called? Dea? Dia, was it dia? Diabetes, that's right. One day in the way, way, way future, Grace and I will personally know each other, and we're going to go, 2019, right? What was that thing that everybody was just like so stressed about? It's all over the place. Cancer, that's right. Wow, that was a long time ago. In the age to come, There will be no mammograms and no infusion units and no post-op recovery rooms and no 
mastectomies, lumpectomies, none of them. The curse and all of its brokenness will be lifted. Our imagination is supposed to get there, lifted. All right, number three, Christ has secured that future for us through the gospel, and he gives us tastes of it right now. Sometimes even physical healing. When Jesus burst onto the scene in Galilee, what was one of the very first things that he started doing? He started to heal and heal and heal sick bodies. Why did he do this? It was to announce to the world the age to come, the kingdom of God has broken into this world right now in real time, right here. I am here to make all things new, even bodies. Now that does not mean that Jesus is entitled to heal every sick body. He didn't even do that back then, right? He left many people unhealed in Palestine during his time on earth. What Jesus did was he healed some bodies so that everybody would hope in the full and the final restoration of all bodies. This is our take it to the bank certainty of the future that I just talked to you about. And then we finish with this one, and this is where our text takes us. Our Father is sovereign over and purposeful with and merciful in our physical sufferings. All right, let's work the words and we'll see it together. First verse, for we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. Commentators go back and forth on exactly what this affliction was. It's hard to know because Paul had more afflictions than Bernie Sanders has houses, more afflictions than Donald Trump has towers. Did I get them both for you? More afflictions than Tom Brady has championships. I knew that one would register. All kinds of afflictions. We think that this one may be a physical suffering that he's referring to because later in this letter he talks about a thorn in the flesh. But whatever it is, it was bad. It was bad. Here's how he describes it. He says, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Please feel these words with me. As Christians, we do not need to downplay the awfulness of physical suffering. We don't need to pretend that it doesn't hurt really bad, a wicked lot. We don't need to pretend that it doesn't. We can be honest and real about the pain, the fear, the frustration. You're allowed to have terrible days when you are sick. I know that we got a lot of thinkers in the life of this church, right? And that's good. But we are also allowed to be feelers Paul is literally sharing his feelings. Do you see the words on the screen? What does he say? We felt, we felt like we were going to die. 
The psalmist says it over and over again like this. I love this analogy. He says, your waves and your breakers have crashed into me. What is he saying there? He's saying like this suffering is just like getting hit with a wave and just when you clear your mind, you get hit with a wave and just when you get the seaweed out, you get hit with a wave until you think you're going to die. All right, this has been our experience in the last six months. Three of those we have not been around to share this with you. Feel this with me. You do a mammogram and they say, hey, it's a 90% chance it's nothing but we need you to come in and do a biopsy. So you do it, and then you get a phone call, and they say, hey, you're going to have to come over to Stoneham because you have breast cancer. Boom. Then you have to tell your family and your children. When you put your kids together in a room, what do they think is about to happen? We're going to Disney World. Surprise. And then you have to tell them your mom has breast cancer. Boom. Then you have this horrible six-hour surgery, right? And a month of recovery where you can barely use your arms. Boom. Then they tell you, can you come back in? Because you have one infected lymph node, and we're going to have to do a second surgery. Boom. You go back in, they do a second surgery, another month of recovery. You can't use the left side of your body. Boom. Then they call you back in and they say, hey, because you had a lymph node that was infected, there's something called chemotherapy that most folks your age so young will do. And then they give you this piece of paper and they say, here's the side effects. Hair loss, weight gain, nausea, exhaustion, bone pain, and maybe a bunch of other things. We're going to get started in March. Boom. Oh, by the way, you need another surgery to put a port in. Boom. You go for the first treatment. 60 seconds in, you have an anaphylactic reaction, and your throat closes, and your heart races, and you turn red because you're allergic to the second medicine. Boom. They figure that out. The chemo works the first couple of visits, and then the side effects kick in. Boom. Then you go for the third treatment, and the one thing you want more than anything in life is just to keep going so that you can get finished. And they tell you, we can't do the treatment today because your levels are too high. We have to wait till they de-elevate. Boom. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. You feel that? You will be there if you are not there like we have been. Why would God allow this ever? Why would he allow it? Is he going for anything in our suffering? Yes or no? I need to know. Here's what the Spirit says in the Word. But that affliction, that suffering, was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. Yes. Don't mind the banging, it'll kick off in one second. One of these weekends, Callie and I went down to New York City, and we took the Staten Island Ferry from Staten Island into the Lower East Side. One way on our trip, there wasn't a cloud in the sky. The sun was as bright as it has ever been. 
there was a warm breeze on our face. You could see everything. Jersey, the Statue of Liberty, the Tower, Brooklyn, you could see it all. And I thought to myself, I could totally drive this boat right now. Put me behind that ferry wheel because I could see it. I'd go straight across, pull it right in the dock. I would love to do that. The other direction was quite different. A fog with like an unbelievable capital F fog rolled in over the harbor. Dark, thick clouds where you would not be able to see the back of the room from where I am. That's how dark and cloudy and foggy it had gotten. And I thought, I would never be able to steer this boat. How are we even going to not crash into something? They're going to have to rely on something totally outside of their own capacity to see, to steer this boat. This is exactly what God is getting at with your sufferings. It forces us to let go of ourselves and all of the crutches crutches and the idols and the self-sufficiencies and the self-reliances that we bring to our life and to literally grab hold of God for dear life. You are Bostonians, and I love you for it. Some of you are born and raised. Some of you are here to stay. All of you have a whole bunch of mantras that you live your life by, and one of them is this, I got this. I got this. It's just the way that we're built. Sometimes it's totally necessary, like when you're driving through a rotary, right? If you don't pull into that thing like, I got this, you'll be you know, there for a day and a half. So we need a little bit of I got this to survive around here. But I got this is antithetical to the gospel life. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, the ones who have come to know I do not got this. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's a gospel principle. And so in love for you, do you know what God, who intends for you to inherit the kingdom and the age to come, brings, allows in your life a whole bunch of stuff that will cause you to go, I don't got this. He exposes all of our petty reliances. Why was Paul exceedingly crushed beyond strength to the point of despairing of life itself? Why? So that he might rely on God as his ground for happiness and for hope and not on the stable, comfortable circumstances of his life and certainly not on himself, but on God. I can't speak to how the Spirit has been doing this in Grace's life. I can only speak to how he's been doing it in my life. But many of my petty reliances, like the stuff that I hang on to, like my work performance, our, rather, our regular rhythms of sex as a couple, a stable money solution, no medical bills, I really prefer that, about 37 other crutches and reliances, I have written them down in my journal and said, he is knocking the legs out from under this one right now so that I might rely on him. I am not pretending that I have done a good job with this. Tim and Matt can show you long emails to our pastors 
about all the sin that this pressure has surfaced in my life. But what I'm saying is that God has used it to expose that silliness and to cause me to rely on Him. If I was beginning to think after 18 years of ministry that I kind of got this, He has knocked the legs out from under me and our family to say, we're like in a fog without God's grace to rely on to steer us forward. And that never happens, ever, if it's all blue skies and warm breezes. God is purposeful with our sufferings. It's true. All right, now as true as that is, it would literally be 100% inappropriate for me to end the sermon right there with you. Because I would be leaving something absolutely crucial out, and that has been central to my experience in the last three months. And it, it will not be possible for me to wear my life on my sleeve in this without crying some, so hang with me. If you're not a crier, you do not have to cry with me. God's grace to us in suffering is not just about what he is doing with our suffering. It is about how he loves us in our suffering. Matt Moran, who used to pastor here, has this hilarious and also terrifying story of this summer when he was a teenager and his parents sent him to Christian young man's boot camp in the woods in Michigan. He says that uh, it was harsh. Um, Made the Marines look like Terry's little pumpkins, you know, like the little daycare with the kids. That's how bad this was. And he says that one morning they dragged them out of bed at 3 a.m., threw them in this van, and drove them 30 miles from the camp, pushed them out of the van bus, and said, grow up and find your way back, and drove away. No water, no compass. This was before there was uh, the Waze app. No sunscreen. They just left them there alone. You feel that? That is not our Father's way with us. He is not absent in our sufferings. He is not harsh. He is not cold. He is not distant. He's not even clinical or indifferent. He is near and he visits us with sweet comforts and mercies. I hope you felt that in the words that we read before. This is how he begins the letter. It's unbelievable. He says, blessed. Who's been around people who have suffered terribly and what's actually on their lips is curses for God? We can get there, right? How amazing is it that his first word in this letter is, blessed be God. How is this possible? He experienced the love of God in his sufferings. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions. This too has been my experience in the 
three months that I have not been serving in my normal way. Let me just hit you with some of these mercies so that you feel them clearly. This season has let me be weak before you. One of my big questions is, how does a sinner like me serve a church for 20, 30? Like, what if God gives us 40 years together? How, how can I do that without taking an air of being Superman on, like Teflon? That's too much pressure. If people start thinking, oh, Matt's the pastor guy. He's got this. He doesn't sin. He doesn't doubt. He doesn't struggle. He just gets stronger and stronger. What a sweet mercy from God to give us a season where we just go, we do not got this. We are hurting bad, and we need a lot right now. I have received that as a gift to me. So the next 5, 10, 20 years, no one in this church is thinking, Superman got through breast cancer. What a gift to us. When I get to say to you, we can't do it, we're going to rely on God and not ourselves. Here's another sweet mercy. You. So it is your duty to love your pastors in seasons like this, right? clear command of scripture. Honor those who labor among you, especially in preaching and teaching, because it's such a hard work. It is your duty. But we can do our duties with shrugged shoulders and dragging feet, right? If you've ever taken out the trash, you know what that looks like. You have not treated us like we were trash that you had to take out because it was your duty. You have been unbelievably warm and gentle to us. Like some of you guys have seen me and genuinely welcomed me like I mattered to you, like you were glad to see me, and you were not faking that. That's a sweet mercy and comfort. Brian let me bury my face in his chest and just weep the first couple of weeks of this. And he just let me do it. What a sweet mercy and comfort. What if you brought us like 50 meals? I don't know. Hot Chinese food like right from Panda Castle? Grace can't even get her calendar of when fields are needed up without them filling up by the first time you refresh it. Unbelievable. What a mercy from God to be a part of a church. What a gift. Here's another one, the sweetness of our infusion days together. So this is the day when you go and spend the whole day in the chemotherapy unit. I thought these were going to be the worst days of all, right? Just depressed and scared and miserable. These days have been so sweet for us. And I know it was a gift from the hand of God. It felt like we were married, leaning into each other, great conversation. There's been unity there. Grace has been telling the nurses all about the church. Just like out of nowhere, the days that I thought would be the worst, it's just like God to make those days the best. What a sweet mercy and grace 
There's been like 20 individual stories. So three or four days after our first treatment, the pain was just unbearable. So, you know, you call the doctor and you say, hey, I can't even breathe with some of this pain. And they say, that's not normal. Go to the hospital. So we go to the ER. And I don't know why this is the case, because I've been by that ER when I didn't need help, and there was tumbleweeds floating by. And the receptionist is like painting her nails, and the nurses are like chit-chatting about Game of Thrones. But the one night that we go, what happens? All of Melrose is in this emergency room, right? So we pull up. It's 20 minutes just to get checked in and then go sit in the corner in vicious pain and you have to put a mask on. And I started to get angry. (laughs) And this one large dude rolls in and his ankle is swollen and he's in the emergency room. Oh, my ankle. And he falls asleep with Doritos all over his chest and he's snoring in my face. And the sinful Matt Cruz was ready to go clothesline him, put him in a figure four leg lock and say, now you have something to be at the emergency room about. I didn't do it. Two and a half hours I sat there with my wife in fierce pain waiting to get treated. Here's where you start to get angry at everybody, including God. We don't deserve this. We finally get into a room, and I just got to take you to this place, okay? So you're at your lowest of all possible low points, like in need of mercy. Around the corner walks Katie Yu, who is not only medically trained, which is awesome, but is like one of the top five people on earth that you would want to come be with you if you were in those streets. And this is like midnight that she's come down to be with us. And then the attending nurse doctor walks around the corner. And she looks at me, and I look at her, and her face beams. And she says, I go to Seven Mile Road. We just moved to Melrose. I know you've only been there once, and then you were taking your leave. But I am so glad that I am going to get to serve you tonight. And so, like, just in a good way, breaking over my soul the waves of the mercy of God. We didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve that. But he met us in that moment with his sweet mercies. Do you feel that? And then our family has been unbelievable. So our kids have had such a sweet spirit at home. Anytime we've gathered to pray, they've been there with all of their hearts. Callie's still young enough to hold your hand And God knows how distant grace has had to be from me physically with her, just constant pain. And so he gives me a daughter who likes to hold my hand. What a mercy. My dad picked, if you were 75 years old and your son called you at 945 at night and said, hey, my teenager's up at Roller World in Saugus and he needs a ride home. What is the very last thing every 75-year-old on earth wants to do? Because they're already in their pajamas with their slippers watching Matlock. You don't want to pick that kid up. You're right. Like, hey, it's called Uber. Figure it out. I'll wire you the money. And he literally says to me, I know how long your day has been. Let me go get Brandon. And then, you know, impossible to talk about my mom's love for us in her patience in being in the margins but at the ready to serve us. Is that deserved? 
Do you feel the sweet mercies of God to us? If you are looking for me to curse God because he allowed our family to go through this struggle, you are out of your mind. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Father of all mercies, and the God of all comforts. This is what we have been rolling through. I invite you to experience these mercies of God as you face the dark fogs of life. He will help you to rely on him. You know it. And he will make himself himself sweeter than you have ever known him. I promise. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you have secured for us a future without pain, without sorrow, with no curse, and fully healed bodies forever. That is awesome. And thank you that you are not harsh to us or distant or clinical when we suffer in this life, but you meet us with sweet and tender comforts and mercies. Thank you that you do this through your word, but also through your people, that you meet us constantly with the grace of our brothers and sisters. Grace and Matt and Brandon and Julia and Kelly and I, we will not curse you, but we will bless you for your goodness and your grace in the gospel. May that be the way everybody at Seven Mile Road responds that these cities might have no idea what's going on in this place where there is joy in the midst of sorrow. Hear my prayer for these things and answer. Amen.